Welcome to a special 1 p.m. edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Paul Dottino, John Schmelk. Why are we starting late? Well, it's simple. I guess the 2018 offseason has officially begun from a coverage perspective because we had a chance to meet with the Giants' assistant coaches and coordinators today. Uh, the first chance, really, to get up close and personal with these guys, Paul, and have a conversation with them, learn about their ideas about football. Of course, given the fact that the players haven't been back yet, you're limited in what you can kind of ask these guys and what they yeah. can talk about and what they know. But still, some good stuff. We'll share that with you off the top of the show. Then we'll have Bill Rabinowitz. He covers Ohio State. He'll be joining us at 1.30 to discuss the Buckeyes that are coming out in this <clears throat> excuse me, this year's draft. And I'll apologize ahead of time, folks. I'm either fighting a cold or the start of allergy season. I'm not quite sure which one it is, but it's one of the two. So <laughs> if I happen to hack or wheeze or cough or sneeze on the air, I apologize in advance. I will do my best to use that cough button uh, liberally. So, Paul, from the assistant coaches today uh, – a couple individual notes for guys that I'll get to in a, in a little bit, but specifically the thing that jumped out at me in terms of a big picture thing that was shared by all the coaches is that they're going to allow what these players do well to dictate what they do on both sides of the ball. Something James Betcher said. It's something how Hunter, the offensive line coach, said. It's something Mike Shula said. They're going to use their player skill set to determine what they do. And this will be an offensive and defensive scheme that is based around what the players show they're good at, not just in the spring, but in training camp. So this will be a work in progress as these coaches learn what the players are going to excel at. Well, the players don't get here until Monday. And that's part of why they're talking that way, because they truly haven't met these guys. All they've done is study film. I mean, even even Mike Shula, who is the new offensive coordinator, said he's looked at Davis Webb's tape. He does know something about him, but there's still very little there. And he's looking forward to getting Davis in the building to where they can actually begin the offseason program and do things on the field so he can really learn more about him. I mean, that's... That's the problem when you have a new head coaching staff. They're starting from square one. Um, I will say this. I agree much more with you on the defensive side of the ball than the offensive side of the ball. I do think you're absolutely right on defense. It's clear that Betcher is going to run a very fluid scheme. He said, you may see us line up differently on every single snap because that's what he does. We've tried to tell you this before. And so you're right. There's no question they got to see what these guys do well, and that's how they're going to fit into this fluid defense. Offensively, I don't know that I, I don't know that I got a real indicative feeling yet from from Shula. I really don't. I think he still seems to be very curious, and I don't know if I read that as deeply as you did. I suppose what you said is possible. He certainly said Beckham is the key element in the offense. He's the go-to guy, and you got to get other guys the ball as well, and you want to try to spread the field and use all areas of the field to keep defenses guessing. But I, I don't know that he gave me enough of, of – crumbs to, to delineate yeah I didn't the get kind of that you said I didn't get that so much from Shula I got that from Hal Hunter more the offensive line coach and we we're actually limited in terms of who was there today Craig Johnson yeah. wasn't available and Tyke Taylor yeah. wasn't available so really of the offensive coaches you had Linda Wells you had Ben Wilkerson who was the assistant offensive line coach and Al Hunter who's the offensive line coach that was there on the offensive side of the ball and remember Mike Shula is not just the offensive coordinator he's also the quarter the quasi quarterbacks coach as yes. well so limited in terms of who was there on offense but you know, how Hunter talked a little bit about using the power and zone schemes 
and they're very flexible in terms of what they're going to use. They're going to use a lot of different things, but he doesn't want to assign positions to guys in the offensive line. He wants to see when they come in, and they'll play the best five guys and put them where they fit in best on the offensive line. That is true, but then once he finds out where they fit, he was very specific about where my starters are. Correct. They're not, they're not going to learn other positions. But the backups have to be versatile. Yes. When you get to six, seven, and eight on your offensive line uh, roster, those guys have to know all the positions. He said, my starting five, I want them to be aware of what everybody else on the line is doing, but I want them working exclusively at their spot. They don't need to be wasting time working at other spots. That is something quite different than what we've seen around here in recent years where, quite frankly, a lot of times starters like Pugh or like Fluker, uh, like Brett Jones, like Weston Richburg, you, you would see these guys sometimes taking first-team snaps, even though it may not have been a whole lot, they would take first-team snaps at more than one position. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, in, in addition to that, going back real quick um, to the defensive side of the ball, Paul, I think that's where we kind of got more of the meat and potatoes out of this today because there are more, co- more coaches there, and I think it's, you know, a little bit more of a transition. You know, Pat Shermer is such a close grip on this offense, and Mike Shula made that point at the press conference, yes. too, that he can talk about it, but and he said this a couple times, <laughs> he sees himself as the extension yes, of the coach. Absolutely. So, make no mistake, you know, Mike Shula might not have the title of offensive coordinator. He's the offensive coordinator in terms of the guy that's really controlling this Pat. offense. What did I say? You said Mike. I'm sorry. Pat Shermer might not have the title yes. of offensive coordinator. He's the head coach. But he, in effect, is the guy that's designing yes. and running this offense. And he will run it through Mike Shula. He'll take, I think, a lot of the responsibilities and the, the leg work, the dirty work, the blue-collar work off his plate so he can also obviously execute the role of head coach on the team, which is a big part of it. But we already know he, he's going to call plays. He made that point when he got hired. Correct. So I did expect to learn a lot from Mike Shula today just because Pat Shermer is the guy who's going to run the show, and it's going to be his offense. And quite frankly, to try to expand on any substance that Shula gave us in his presser, I really couldn't do it because there wasn't anything else there besides what we've already talked about. Uh, There was certainly a lot more there on the defensive side. I will say this, though. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that bringing in assistant coach Wilkinson to help out Hal Hunter on the offensive line, I, I did get a feel from Coach Wilkinson, how he said in, in other spots where he's been, his playing experience was a very important conduit for him to get guys to buy in to whatever it was that the coaching staff was trying to get them to do. Now, how Hunter, folks, if you've ever seen him, he's a rather skinny, diminutive man. Uh, looks like he could be uh, a punter. Uncle, uh, Hunter could be could be uh, uh, the uncle of Lance Meadow, for that matter, in terms of physical stature. He looks more like a punter than he does an offensive lineman. Yeah, so so quite honestly, uh, I could understand uh, the believability. You know, if he's talking to some 340-pound offensive lineman about how to block a blitzing linebacker, I could see where they might wince at him and say, yeah, how many Wheaties have you had this morning, you know? I could get, I'm just having a little fun here with the perception. But Coach Wilkinson's a big dude. Oh, yeah. He's a big, well-built, big-frame guy. 
And and he did say that he thought it was advantageous that he had played the game and guys seemed to really relate to that. So I think the combination of the smarts of uh, Coach Hunter and and the uh, experience of Coach Wilkinson and how he will relate to players will be very important. And, and specifically, Eric Flowers was talked about a lot, as you could imagine, making the adjustment from left tackle to right tackle. And Hunter's uh, comment was he thinks that Flowers is athletic enough to make that adjustment. Obviously, it's going to be an adjustment. It'll be a process, too, he made the point. It will be. He made it very clear. But he did say, I think he is athletic enough to do what needs to be done on that side of the line. And that's pretty much uh, the extent of the most significant offensive line talk that we had. Yeah, and he said he didn't want. He said he spoke to Eric Flowers on the phone. Didn't want to share the details of those conversations, which is understandable. Sure. But yeah, that move is it's it's, it's going to be tough and it's going to be a challenge. And he made the point now too that there's really no difference in the difficulty between the left and the right side and the type of assignments you have. It's just no. a matter of changing your footwork and changing your hands and that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. Now, onto the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Got a, a couple of details, I thought, with um, Gary Emanuel, who I think gave some good stuff on the defensive line. But first on Betcher, we mentioned a couple of the things already. Um, he talked about, you know, he wants his defenses to be fast, physical, and smart. I think all coordinators want their defenses to be fast, physical, and smart. You hope so. He said he, he'll mold his defense to what the players do. Um, so I don't think there was anything new and special, at least from what I could see from Betcher. I, I grabbed my wrong notebook, so I don't have my notes in front of me. Oh, jeez. Uh, did anything else come yeah, up to you, Paul, you know, and, and that uh, that really caught your ear? A um, couple things, actually. One is um, he's talking about the style of players that were brought in, and obviously the Cardinals that they have brought in, led by Martin and, and Morrow, uh, significant in that those guys absolutely positively already understand what it is he wants to do, and they will help spread the word through the locker room, at least on the defensive side of the ball. And he said even more than knowing the scheme, it's the importance of understanding the culture that you want to have in the locker yes. room. And he kind of really emphasized that because he was asked about the scheme knowledge, and he kind of took the question and turned it over. He, he said, did. well, those are the type of guys we want that are smart, that are hard workers, that can set an example for the rest of the guys. And he focused on that a lot more than he did the whole scheme knowledge thing. I thought he made it very clear that he does not view himself as Houdini. He's not a magician coming in here, and he's going to scheme the Giants to being a better defense. And that was his quote. He said, we're not going to hang our hat on our scheme. We're going to hang our hat on our players. Yes. Yes. And I think that's very significant because what did we learn from Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer during the offseason, John? We learned that those guys wanted certain types of players. It wasn't just their talent their ability, their skill set. It was also they want certain kinds of guys who are going to provide the correct attitude, the correct teamwork, the correct leadership, the correct effort on the field that encompasses a winning ball club. And I think you can see that thread go right from Gettleman to Shermer to the assistant coaches. And specifically Betcher, it's very obvious with him, the way he talked about having guys who want to do whatever it takes, and it's not about necessarily, you know, constructing a a, a blueprint uh, on the field of X's and O's to win the game. It's about all the kinds of things that you have to do to provide the right atmosphere and environment. A couple other things I thought, John, uh, as long as I have my notes in front of me. Uh, He mentioned Eli Apple. 
uh, scouted him when he was coming out of Ohio State. Loves his skill set. It is quite clear he loves Eli Apple's skill set. Clean slate, as we've heard, again, from other Giants front office people. Eli Apple has a clean slate. Day one starts when he gets here on Monday. But he was very excited to talk about what Eli Apple's skills are. And secondary coach Lou Anamuro said the same exact thing. Okay, so that, you know, so uh, moving forward, unless something changes, you can pretty much count on Apple being a big part of that secondary. And then I thought the other thing uh, was Landon Collins. Uh, it was very. That, 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 I thought that was a good quote. Good call on that. Very clear to me that that Betcher views Landon Collins, if not the heart of this defense, he's going to be one of the main arteries. But he's not Deion Buchanan, though, and he was no. pretty clear about that. No, he is he's not. going to be the safety. He's not going to be the linebacker. No, he is not a linebacker. But he, they're going to ask him to play single high, two high, box, man to man on the on, on the tight end. He yeah. made the point. That that type of versatile player is what gives offenses trouble. So expect to see Landon Collins all over the place on the field this year. I think, I think, and we're going to have to see more in training camp, John, when they start to practice. I think he's going to be more utilized as Antrell Roll was later in Roll's career with the Giants. Probably when, not as much in the slot, though. Probably not as was. much, right. but he'll be, I think we'll see, not so much in the slot, but we'll see him covering tight ends right. in yes. that role. I agree. But he'll be high, he'll be low, as you said. And and in that regard, I think that's what we're going to see. We're not going to see a pseudo linebacker out of Collins. I suspect, I suspect, based on what we saw with Arizona, he probably has that in mind for maybe the third safety. Whoever the third safety is going to be, that might wind up being the pseudo linebacker. Could it be Andrew Adams? Maybe it could be. He's physical. He's tough. Or he's maybe, strong. Maybe he's a draft pick. Who could knows? Could be a draft pick. Could be even be a free agent that still comes down the pike. But I got the feeling because I don't think that position's going away. Right. I think he's going to keep the position. It's not going to be Collins. And he, he used Tony Jefferson as a comparison yes. for how he wanted to use Landon Collins. And Jefferson was an all-pro, or mm-hmm. at least a pro bowler. I'm not sure if he was an all-pro or not, but he's at least pro a bowler. pro bowler when he was in Arizona. So he talked about that. Um, talking to uh, Coach Mack, the linebacker's coach, he talked about how Alec Ogletree will obviously be a three-down linebacker, but finding that other three-down nickel-off-the-ball linebacker is a competition. And B.J. Goodson, it would be the next step in the progression for him, but he has to win that job and prove he can do that. Um, and then I had a chance to talk to Gary Emanuel, and I thought it was interesting. And we've kind of talked about this a little bit already, Paul, and he confirmed it for me. This is not going to be as big of an adjustment for these guys going from the 4-3 to the 3-4 as a lot of people are making it out to be. Because this is not your dad's 3-4 defense where you're asking your three defensive linemen to two-gap people and take up blockers. I literally asked him straight up. So you're telling these guys, even in your 3-4 base defense, you want your three defensive linemen to get into a gap and get up the field and attack. He goes, absolutely. We want them to, to be an instinctual football player get up the field, mm-hmm. and try to make the play. That's the exact type of thing they asked for from the guys in the 4-3. So I don't think that's going to be as big of a transition as some people have made it out today. I think I think one of the things that I gleaned from, from talking to all of them, and I kind of am going to meatloaf this statement together, the Giants' defensive players are not going to be learning traditional positions. For example, the defensive ends who are going to be 
uh, uh, part of the linebacking slash defensive end, pass rushing, edge rushing type of, of scheme. Well, guess what? They're going to be with the defensive line guys the first few days of, of the week. And then when they get to the sub package and the third down packages, they're going to go to the linebackers. Yeah, home. and I actually asked um, Huda, I think I asked Gary Emanuel that, and I said, how are you going to work this? Because Betcher said specifically Kareem Martin's going to be in the linebacker room. So I'm like, hold on a second. When I looked at the Cardinals tape, he had his hand in the dirt more than he stood up. So I actually, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if you were staying there or not, but I went to Gary Emanuel yeah. and I said, Coach, I got a question. And this is, I, I honestly, I, I don't know. He said Kareem Martin's a linebacker. Yes. That dude in his hand in the dirt all the time. How, you know, how does that work? How right. do you work that? And he said, look, the first two days of the week of practice, you'll be with the linebackers. And then when we do our sub package day on Friday, whatever day it happens to be this year, we're going to have the off-the-ball linebackers in one room, and then you're going to have your edge rushers, which will include some guys that are traditionally in the linebacker room in a separate and, group and learning vice together. Versa. So these yes. guys are going to move back and forth. You're absolutely right. Yes. And, and you know, to be honest with you, um, one of the concepts or the base core of what one of the assistants told me, and I, 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 I can't remember now which one it was because I talked to several of them, but one, one of the core concepts – for this Giants defense is going to be once they prove to the coaching staff that they understand what it is that they're supposed to do, they're going to be given the freedom, at least some of the players will, Olivier Vernon will be one of them, to do some of his own pre-snap motion. He will be allowed to improvise because what he will be told on a certain play is, this is how we're going to line it up and this is what you're supposed to do at the snap. It's okay if you want to do a few things to show something in pre-snap motion. And frankly, we saw that from Chandler Jones on tape last year. Yes. Do it on your own if you want to, but just make sure when the ball is snapped, you're in the right position, in the right formation, in the right stance, and that you are prepared to do what it is we've asked you to do. Right. But but pre-snap... If you want to be a little funky and you want to do, and I, I said to one of the coaches, I said, so basically what Peyton Manning used to do on offense, you want some of your veteran defensive players to do on defense. Bluffing. Basically, that's what it is. It's a lot of bluffs. It's a lot of looks. It's a lot of trickery, a lot of deception. And that was like, yeah, once they get it, some of these guys yeah. are going to be given the freedom, like Chandler Jones was, to show different bluffs. Ultimately, though, he needs to be in the spot they want him when they snap the ball. By the way, folks, we have 10 minutes before our college guest. So if you want to get in, we'll take a couple calls between now and then. 201-939-4513. I know you're not used to having us on at 1, so we have a couple open lines. So feel free to squeeze in at 201-939-4513. Just want to add on the Vernon thing. Yeah. Because he was asked, is it an adjustment for Vernon to go from the 4-3 DN to 3-4 outside linebacker? Um, he said no and basically intimated that, look, we're not stupid. We're not going to ask Olivier Vernon to go cover people. We want him to do what he does best. Betcher said that. What did I say? You, you didn't identify which coach. Betcher said it was Betcher. that we're not stupid. He didn't say we're not stupid, <laughs> but, but, that, but that's what he intimated. Yes. That yes he, he intimated that, yes. Olivier Vernon <laughs> is going to be rushing the pass. Yes. That's what they want him to do. That's what he's best at. And even though he's going to be a – Three, four outside linebacker, and I could tell all the defensive coaches do not like this. Oh, we play a three, four. It's not a four, three. No, 
they all humor the people that ask the questions. And yes. I asked the question, too, so yes. I was humored. But they don't like to be pigeonholed into that. No. No, 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 no. This is going to be a, as I've said it before, it's a fluid defense. It's not an amoeba defense that, that Rex Ryan used to run, but it's, it's, a, it's a fluid defense. And it's quite clear, and I go back to the comment Betcher made, and I think I said it earlier in the show, Betcher said we may line up differently on every single yep. snap. And that's just the way it's going to be. And all the different concepts that are in the 3-4 and the 4-3 are going to rear their heads during the Giants games. That's it. And, Paul, here's the thing, and this is the last thing I'll say, and then we'll get to your calls before we get Bill Rabinowitz from the Columbus Dispatch, who covers Ohio State. Um, Betcher said, even as a coaching staff, we are not going to know what our defense's Mm -hmm. identity is until the end of training camp because as he said we're playing basketball on turf in the spring because you can't hit anybody so basically he's going to see during camp once you get the pads on what his guys are good at and he is then going to call his defense and put his defense together based around that so guys this is going to be fluid we're going to have fun watching this defense and see what they're good at and see what they decide to stick with once they get to the regular season but it's going to take some time He's going to destroy my tape work. Oh, it's going to be pointless. He will destroy me. He will destroy me. One of the things I do, folks, usually when I when I go back and I review a Giant game on Monday or Tuesday every week is I go back and I look at specifically what the defense did on each and every play. Good luck. What was the front? Who blitzed? How many times they blitzed? How many guys they sent? You know what? I, I, I No. No. It's not happening this year. You better, have, you better have your rewind ready it's on your not machine. Happening. I'm not going to have enough hours in the day to keep track of all the different kinds of things. Because, you know, then I put together a chart. Well, guess what? There will be no chart because the chart will be as big as a piece of wallpaper. <laughs> 30 columns. Can't do it. Can't do it. I mean, and by the way, it was the same thing watching the Cardinals last year. It was. When I watched the Cardinals last year going into the Giants game, I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, they're all over the place. The only plays with this one defense down defensive lineman or two down defensive linemen. Here's the thing, folks. Um, the Giants clearly have decided with the makeup of, of this coaching staff by going to Betcher um, and, and the rest of the defensive guys. They have basically decided that they're going to become a very athletic team and they're going to become a very unpredictable team. They're not going to be – and, look, I love Steve Spagnolo. You guys know that. I'm a huge fan of Spags. And Spags was great at improvising on the fly and even during the middle of games, uh, especially in, in the middle of a series or in the middle of a quarter. He'd be drawing stuff there on the, uh, right in front of the bench. He'd be like, okay, what do you want to do, guys? Let's try this. And he'd be making stuff up. He was great, great improvis- improvisation. But, but it always came out of – a certain look or certain scheme or certain system sure. that was was the foundation was there. There was there was building blocks of this is where it's coming from. There's no spine to this defense. There's none. There's no spine, John. Everybody is fluid. Everybody's all over the place. There's no there's no um, what's the word? No Lincoln logs connecting the dots for this defense. So that's it's obvious. That's where they're going. There's no mainframe. 
No. There, there isn't, there isn't like, you know, when you know when you're building the house and you have the beams going up yes. and down and you build it over that, you don't have that. That's the steel beams. There are no steel beams in this defense. All right, Len in Columbia, Maryland. Len, you're going to be our only call before we get to our Wow. Len, <laughs> wow. what's going on, pal? Len, right, how'd you I'm find I'm honored, guys. You found the show, Len. I'm glad. <laughs> um, listen, it was interesting listening to the, uh, you know, coordinator or reading some of the things that he had to say. Um, Those videos will be I, I on like Giants.com. I like the fact that he kept it, kept it pretty simple, you know. I, uh, not too much uh, emphasis on scheme. I, you know, I kind of like that. You know, three four, four three, Wills, Sam's, uh, Nickel. You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, more um, toward what you guys, when we were all younger, learned in the schoolyard, and he used the word relentless. Find the guy who's got the ball, jump on top of him, and throw him <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> You know, it's it's pretty it's 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 schoolyard football, but you know what? At its at its core, it's really what it's all about. And he said that too. He said, "This is really what it's all about. It's not scheme. <laughs> yeah. It's being relentless, finding the ball, jumping on top of the guy, and throwing him on the ground." And uh, I, I like that. That was refreshing. And you know, here yeah, I'm gonna throw out a kudu here to uh, Coach Coach McAdoo. Um, one of his phrases that always resonated with me, and it's along the same lines, guys. I'm not going in a different direction here. He always talked about getting the guy on the ground. Do you do you, do you remember that? Yes. Do you remember him saying that? Mm-hmm. I I like that because, you know, at the core, that's really what it's all about. Hard Find the guy football, who's got the ball right? and get him on the ground. Heavy hand. Heavy hand. Heavy hand. Ready for that. So, hey, he um, this guy resonated with me. You know, first first uh, listen or first read. And, um, hey, I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, let, me, let me go to the draft for a second, if I may, and then I'll let you get to your guests. By sure. the way, the guests have been great. Thank and, you. And, and, John, the show last um, Friday, I guess you did it on Thursday, played it on Friday. That was, that was a treat, so I do appreciate yeah, that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, on the draft, it seems to me we're talking about two players in terms of generational players the the two players where that comes up the most seems to me to be Barkley and Nelson and then real quick I think people overuse the term generational player Lawrence Taylor is a generational player these guys they're they're both all let's call them this they're all pro caliber players which I think is a very generous description but to call them generational means that no one can come close to comparing these guys for the last right. 10 or 15 years, <laughs> yeah. which is nonsense. And, and and the league is still looking for the next LT, by the way. Exactly. Yeah, and by the way, that's if, true. That's exactly. true, true. But let me, let me, let me kind of use that reference, if I may, sure. to, tr- to try to make a point. It seems like the two players are Barkley and Nelson. Right? Those are the guys right. who come up who that term has been applied yeah, to. Um, and I understand it may not work out and things like that. But I guess my bottom line is, why don't we just pick one? You can. I mean, I, one of them. One of them's sure. going to be there. Yeah, you can. That's definitely an option. You know, I mean, um, again, both of them are three-down players, and Paul, you know, I like that. Mm-hmm. They're they're plug-in guys. Yeah, but Len, um, Len, but what if you can? They've move? got they've got a bright future in front of them, where people are talking about them in different terms than we're talking about. Uh, otherwise, yeah, but Len, what so, if? But so Len, my thought is, well, you just let's just pick one of those guys. But what if you can trade down three spots, get two extra picks, and then pick one of them anyway? 
Wouldn't that be even better? Well, well, then pay up. well pay maybe up. I am getting a generational play event. Maybe <laughs> pay Nelson up. slides. Nelson, yeah, I guess what Nelson I'm thinking will be there is, at five. You know, when you got that number two pick, this is this is a classic pick. And oh, let, let me ask you this as, a, as the kind of a follow-on, but last question, I promise. It, it, it's this upcoming draft. It seems to me this upcoming draft is as important a draft for the Giants as I can ever remember. Yes, absolutely. I think it's the, it's the, the most important draft since I've been working here since 2006. Yeah, and I, Paul, do you do you think it goes it goes well beyond that? I think it does. I, I think, think the this Eli draft. I, I I I think the Eli draft would be the would be the comparison. Two thousand four, okay. two thousand seven was also incredibly important because, quite frankly, going into that season, there were people who weren't sure that Eli was going to ascend to the level that he did. Yeah, but there were questions about him yeah, but I don't and think that whole team. And every one of the every one of those draft picks, you gotta go. Every one of those draft picks wound up contributing to that Super Bowl championship. Yeah, but I don't think the draft had much to do with Eli. I mean, no, but in terms of the team, sure, that's true. You know, the Giants were at a crossroads there. There but were people who were doubting maybe how good Tom Coughlin was going to be. I agree with that. And doubting how good Eli Manning was going to be. Thing, and was though. this team on the right track? The long-term it's... impact of the 07 draft class wasn't that big. A lot of those guys helped that first year and flamed out for various reasons. Well, Whether it's Steve Smith injury, Kevin Boss injury, Jay Alfred injury. It's true. Can he, you know? Well, Bradshaw was a big deal in the Aaron Ross with the hamstrings? Well, you know, Bradshaw got the two rings. He was a big guy, though. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. But without that without that class doing what it did in 2007 and getting them that ring, I'm not so sure that the Giants would have had the patience with that group of guys. No, that and they I did. agree with you. I think that's fair. And that patience, even with the veterans, more so than with the rookie class, did allow them to win another one in 11. All right, Dave, let's get Bull on the line. But in the meantime, Jay and Philly. Will Yo, be our hey. second caller. What's up, Jay? Hey, how y'all doing, man? What's up? Hello. Yes, can you hear me? Loud and clear. Yeah, yeah, man. I want to talk about um Saquon Barkley, man. Yes, Think sir. Think we can do, pull that off? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Call the Browns and make sure they don't take them. How about Jay, that? I- I think the Giants will successfully be able to fill out their card with Saquon Barkley's name if if they decide that's who they want to pick it to. Is he uh is he in um New York right now? Not as far as I understand. I don't I don't oh, know. Okay. I don't I know where he is. He's having a workout with him today. He, he does have he does have some workouts planned with uh with teams private sessions if you will. Uh I don't know where he's going, what day he's going. But look, really any, this team, way. any team in the top 10 is going to have him in for a visit. And Maybe given, top and five. given that Craig Johnson the running back coach is in here, Guessing the running back probably isn't here working out the day the running back coach isn't in the building. <laughs> hey, hey, let me ask you something Fair? about Josh Maru, man. Makes What's sense. going on with him, man? With who? The the uh, the line, the line, the defensive end we got. Morrow? Yes, can you hear me? I uh, yeah, Jay, we got you, and uh, thanks for the call. Um, yeah, look, he's here. He he got a four game suspension and. He'll be back. He will participate in camp yep. and in the preseason because the suspension doesn't take place until the actual game. And that was game. a performance-enhancing deal based on his statement. He said it was from an over-the-counter product, which happens sometimes. Um, it's unfortunate. The team was aware of it when they signed them. Not the first player nope. and not the last. It will not be. Exactly. So that's the deal. All right. Now we're joined by our guest. He's Bill Rabinowitz. He's from the Columbus Dispatch. He's been our go-to Ohio State football reporter. 
uh, covers the team, does a great job, author of a couple of books as well. Bill, you got John Schmelk and Paul Dottino here in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Thanks for the time today. I know you got spring football going on. We appreciate the time. Happy to be with you. How are you guys doing? Hi, Bill. Uh, we're doing great. And as usual, Bill, you guys have a slew of people from Ohio State <laughs> heading into the NFL draft. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you guys are basically a prep school for the NFL at this point. So <laughs> let's start on the offensive side of the ball, only because there aren't quite as many guys on offense that are making the jump this year, and then we'll hit your basically half your starting defense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right, probably going right. to get drafted in a few weeks. Uh, let's start Billy Price. Um, have you heard anything uh, about his rehab from that torn pec? You know, heading into the combine, to me, he was – you know, a late first, early second round type of pick. I got to imagine he's probably still going to go somewhere around there. Have you heard anything just from around town from guys that know Billy how that rehab with him is going? Yeah, he had his uh, high state at their pro day. It was March 22nd. He was there. He had a swing on his arm, uh, on his shoulder. He has a, a partially torn pec. He said that he'll be ready by the start of training camp. I think he said June was kind of the target date. That's pretty good. So he doesn't think it'll affect him. Um, the irony of, of him getting hurt lifting at the combine is, first of all, he, he set the record for most stars in a Ohio State career, 50, I forget the number, 52 or something. Uh, and never missed a game, obviously. And the other thing was he was going to put on a show at the combine with the, with the bench press because he would have been at least mid-30s. And here it is, the third rep, something he's done a million times, and he, he tears his pec. It was like, you got to be kidding so, but yeah, I would I would think that he would be uh, at worst uh, um, early to mid second round pick, even with the injury. Fifty five straight starts, by the way, which was an Ohio State score okay, record. Yeah, you know, yep. please, I have not gotten to the offensive lineman in my film work yet, so I'm going to ask you to give me an indication as to what he does very well that will make him a plug-and-play starter in the NFL because if you're going to draft him as high as the second round, then he's got a chance to be a starter right away. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, he's versatile. He played guard for the first three years of his career before switching to center. He's extremely intelligent. He uh, graduated from uh, a graduate honors, um, just a really bright guy, very passionate, uh, incredibly strong. I you know, alluded to that with the bench press. He's just a really, you know, physically strong person. Uh, what was interesting is on the Ohio State Championship team in 2014, he was the young guy. He was the guy that, that was like the little brother that everyone picked on. And it was hard for him. I mean, there were certain line mates on that team that that were not, you know, it wasn't gentle love. It was tough love. And, and he, I think, took that to heart and has really been a mentor to a lot of the Ohio State players that came after him. So uh, you'll you won't find anybody here that will have anything but very nice things to say about the price. You know, and he's a guy that played left guard, he played right guard, then he moved to center, and that seems to kind of be the Ohio State way, right? They'll start these guys out of guard, then they'll senior year, they'll, <laughs> they'll they'll kind of put him at center, and he's the leader of that line. Where do you think he's best? Where do you think his best spot is at the next level in the NFL? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, you know, I haven't covered the NFL as a full-time beat in more than 10 years. So, you know, I'm not sure how the league is involved. Uh, I think he'd be fine either way. I mean, he's more experienced at guard. I know there was, there's been some speculation that, that Minnesota might take him. And, obviously, Minnesota has Pat Alfline, and he's the one who started the trend of guard to center. And if that's the case, he said, uh, Price said, he'll all be happy to play guard. Um, <laughs> I think center is probably a more – 
you know, of, of glamorous. Is that the right word? You know, that's probably where he'd prefer to play, but I don't, he, I don't think it matters to him very much at all. You got another lineman there named Jamarco Jones, who a lot of people seem to think he could be as high as a third round pick, which would make him a late second day selection. Uh, how close do you think he is to being a legitimate NFL prospect? Because obviously, if you're going to draft him there, again, you're going to think he's going to compete for a job. Yeah, I think he will. Uh, he did not have, did not post great numbers at the combine. I mean, but he, that's not the kind of player he is. He's a very steady guy. Doesn't draw a lot of attention to himself. Uh, a smart guy. Uh, played played very well. In fact, when he was probably ready to start earlier than he got a chance to start. He started for two years, and his early in his career, players would tell us. Uh, if somebody gets hurt, Jamarco's the guy, and he'll be fine. But nobody did. It was amazing how incredibly durable Ohio State's offensive linemen have been. Last year they lost a player, Brandon Bowen. It was the first significant injury they've had to any offensive lineman under Urban Meyer, which mm. just kind of defies the law wow. of, of football. I mean, it's just amazing to think that guys would be as durable playing that position. Um, so Jamarco Jones, just a very solid guy. Not flashy. You know, he's a left tackle. You don't want him to be flashy. I mean, he's not going not gonna, to, like, jump off the tape at you, but his guys very seldom get to the quarterback, which is what you want. At the very least, do you see him as being a potential swing tackle? Does he have enough power in addition to the technique that he could play some right tackle if he was asked to? He could, but I think he is much more of a left tackle. I mean, I don't want to call him a finesse player. That's not really fair to him, but he's he's not one of these kind of road grader maulers that you think about for right tackle. Um, you know, he could certainly do it in a pinch. That, would be, that wouldn't be a problem. But I think his long-term home is, is that left tackle. Yeah, it's funny. You know, to me, watching him on, on tape, though, and I had a chance to watch him a little bit yesterday in the afternoon and, and this morning, he's just so steady. You know, he's out there, right. and they don't right. have to help him a lot. You rarely see him get beat around the edge. Maybe some guys will push him a little bit with the bull rush, but no one beats him, you know, around the edge with this size. How much do you think, if at all, the Ohio State offensive scheme maybe helped him, or was he asked to protect on five seven-step drops where he had to go one-on-one with the speed rusher and really hold his own on that side? Yeah, they did. I mean, this is not a three-step drop team all the time. I mean, J.T. Barrett certainly did some of that. And uh, but there was all there were also times when J.T. Barrett would would stay in the pocket and wait for things to, to you know wait for things to develop, and he had to hold his block longer than than a typical left tackle. Um, I think the word that you said that, that is perfect for Jamarco is steady. You know, he just he's not going to just be a guy who dazzles you, but he just he doesn't get beat very often. And and he's a really steady person. I mean, just his personality. He doesn't get too high. Doesn't get too low. He's a very very pleasant guy. Uh, just not real excitable. Which again, <laughs> if you if you're not looking for drama, which I don't think most people are, at a left tackle. That's, that's what you want. And I got to imagine, you know, you don't have many, you know, senior starters at Ohio State, especially on defense. Guys tend to leave early. What does it say about these two guys that both of them are coming out after their senior years in terms of the amount of experience they've been able to earn at Ohio State for both guys, their intelligence, and and really just what they've been able to pick up from being a part of the program for as long as they have? Yeah, I mean, first of all, those guys went against studs at practice for their entire career, you know, both Boses. They lined up against both Boses, uh, Tyquan Lewis, Jalen Holmes, I mean, they've they've been put to the ringer at practice, let alone games. So I think they're, given their experience at Ohio State, they're going to be as prepared as you can possibly be uh, coming from a college program. 
John and I have talked since we were at the Combine for three days about how this is a very healthy cornerback group in the draft. There are just so many legit pro prospects, but a lot of them seem to be better suited to slot coverage in the National Football League. Denzel Ward ran in the four threes. Oh, yeah. Okay, I mean, you're talking about lightning quick, but again, he's one of those sub-six-footers who a lot of people might think you know, is going to be uh, somewhat suited to the slot, at least to start his NFL career, and then maybe move outside later on. What are some of your thoughts on him? Because everyone seems to believe he's one of the top two or three corners in this draft and a certain first-round pick. Yeah, I think he's he's certainly a top half of the first-round pick, uh, maybe even top. I've seen him as high as, I think, seven. I think I saw one mock draft. Me too. He's not the biggest guy, as you said. He's not small. He's a you know a little lean, which again, rather I'd rather have a lean cornerback than a thick one. Um, <laughs> but the thing that that really struck me watching Denzel Ward, and it seemed to me like I remember asking Kerry Combs like halfway through the year, is he playing as well as I think he's playing? Because you know Ohio State's had all these guys that have come out first round picks: Marshawn Lattimore, Gary Connolly, Bradley Roby. They've had a string of them. And honestly, I thought that Denzel Ward played as well or better than any of those guys as college players. He just, you know, the word that, that they use to describe was mirrored. I mean, he mirrored these guys. They would go in a direction that he was right there with them. And teams just kept throwing at him. And I thought, why, why do they keep doing this? It doesn't work. You know, throw at <laughs> the other guys. I mean, the other guys are kind of, you know, they're good, but they're you can you can – complete passes on him. Denzel Ward, uh, I, I don't remember the stat, I think uh, one, of the, one of those websites that does this stuff, it was just a remarkable number of the, the opposing quarterback uh, passer rating against uh, when they threw at Denzel Ward. Um, great hands in terms of you know being able to deflect passes, great positioning. He was almost never in the wrong spot. Uh, obviously, he's very fast, very quick. Uh, had good instincts, too. Because there are a lot of guys, and there are some guys on the current Ohio State roster who have all the skills, have all the speed. They don't turn to meet the ball. They don't – all these things you go, well, you know, they were in position to make the play, but they didn't make the play. Denzel Ward was in position, and he made the play. Mm-hmm. And he's got the speed of the rare times when, when he, he's out of position to, to make up round. So I think he's about a sure pick as there is in the draft, at least uh, among the guys that I'm familiar with. Yeah, and watching him, it seemed like that – that he's pretty scheme versatile. I saw him play some cover three stuff where he would come out of his own right. and, and, and kind of make a play on a tight end going down the seam. Um, I saw him play off man. And then, ironically, in his press man, because I guess it's because of his size, he doesn't really rough up the guy at the line of scrimmage. But like you said, he gets so close to him. Yet at the same time, he doesn't allow any separation. I think it's a real unique skill set. And you see him outside, even though he's just 5'10", 5'11", He's able to go up there against taller wide receivers and, and, and knock the ball away. I think it's a really unique, versatile skill set that lets him to do multiple scheme things. He played inside. He played outside. He played left corner. He played right corner. Uh, to me, he's a guy that if you're a defensive coordinator in the NFL, you could use him in a lot of different ways, and he can be a good player for you. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and as, you know, great as Marshawn Latimer was last year with New Orleans, I mean, I think Denzel Ward is certainly in that category. And wow. I'm not predicting he's going to win the rookie of the year. Mm. You know, that, there are a lot of factors to go into it. But I think you, you draft him and you don't worry about that, that position for a while. Well, you know, uh, Jerome Baker's another guy I'm a little curious about because I've seen things all over the map with him. 
uh, <laughs> as as you know, some people think he could be as high as a third rounder. Some people think he's a fifth rounder. I guess it depends on your taste and your point of view. What do you like about his skill set? What could help him? What could hurt him in the draft? Well, what will help him is just his physical ability. He's extremely fast for a guy his size. Uh, you know, if you were going to draw a, a prototype linebacker, you'd come pretty close to describing Jerome Baker. The issue with him is the production and the consistency did not always match the physical skill. Uh, against Iowa, for example, and obviously Ohio, Ohio State, uh, you know, Iowa is a four-letter word to Ohio State after what happened in <laughs> Iowa State last year. Um, Jerome Baker was one of the people who was victimized. There's no getting around it. Against Oklahoma, he struggled, as did all the linebackers. Um, at times, he was the kind of player that you thought he would be. He did a great job uh, against Penn State. Uh, Penn State tried to isolate Saquon Barkley on Baker, and Baker held his own. You know, he that was wow. a game you thought, okay, that's the Jerome Baker I think I'm going to see all the time. <laughs> you didn't see that all the time, and he admitted it. I mean, Jerome Baker is a very engaging guy. I mean, he's a very honest guy. He said, you know, I didn't, I didn't play great all the time, and so a team, I think he'll go probably earlier rather than later because a team out of 32, is going to say we can get the best out of this guy, and the best out of this guy is going to be really good. Um, so I'd be surprised if he goes beyond, let's say, the third round. Uh, you know, fourth round, I would say, is the worst-case scenario because I just think that his physical skills are too enticing for, for everybody to bypass him. Paul, and it's funny, and then, Paul, you can ask your next question, but I have Dane Brugler's draft guide in front yes. of me, and here is his summary at the end, Bill. He is a project at this point in his development, Lacking take-on skills, but his athletic profile will have him overdrafted, which well, is basically exactly what you just yes. said, where the, the physical ability will overcome the lack of production. There are reasons why a guy can be inconsistent. It can be either his his mental awareness, his instinctiveness, mm-hmm. uh, he, or he doesn't have the heart or the physicality. Uh, perhaps he played hurt, and people weren't aware that he played hurt, and that hurt his production. What do you think the primary reason is for his lack of consistency? You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think he was hurt. I don't think that was an issue. And and the, and the thing is, the thing about football is you can play great for 60 plays and you blow two of them and it makes you look like you had a terrible game. <laughs> You're right. And, yeah. and that's kind of what happened and certainly against Iowa. And I'm not pinning all of Ohio State's problems on, on Jerome Baker. Certainly there was a team-wide thing. But when you get beat, it looks bad. And there were times, especially a guy with those skills, you, you expect him to just fly around the field making all kinds of, of plays that make you go, wow. And at times he would do that, but it wasn't as consistent. So, you know, why that was, sometimes you're thinking more than reacting. I, I can't get inside his head. And then again, the thing about football that's tricky about evaluating is you don't know exactly what the scheme is on any given yep. play. No You're doubt. not going to sit there. The coaches aren't going to sit down with you explain, well, this guy's got this guy and this guy's doing this. You just don't know. You know, to my layman's eyes, which hopefully are slightly better than the average layman, <laughs> you know, that's what I saw. Okay. But, you know, I'm not going to portray myself as like some some guy who sits in front of film all day. And I mean, I've got a, a newspaper to write for. I don't, I can't do that. But that, those are my general impressions about about Jerome Baker. And I got, and real quick, last one on Baker at at six one two thirty, he's more like your run and hit in space, let him run and chase type of linebacker. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I yeah. think. All right, yep. uh, now obviously you have a, a big portion of the Ohio State quote unquote rushmen 
package that are coming out in this year's draft. Let's go to Sam Hubbard first. And to me, he kind of smells like a, a poor man's Joey Bosa. And let me explain in that he's pretty good at everything. He's not going to wow you with that, you know, with his crazy athleticism. He doesn't bend off the edge, but he stops the run. He's a He does a hard work. He's relentless, and he'll eventually get the job done for you. I agree, but I would also say that he's a better athlete than a lot of people give him credit for. Okay. And and uh, he he's a former lacrosse player. Most people know the story, a former lacrosse player who Urban Meyer discovered playing dodgeball at, at, at his high school. And, and so, you know, he started out at Ohio State as a safety. So he's still kind of growing into that body. He's a, an extremely intelligent guy, graduated with honors from the Fisher School of Business, which is a, wow. a really tough school. So yeah. uh, he's – you know, he's the kind of guy that you want your daughters to marry. I mean, you know, he's just he's just kind of that kind of guy. Okay. And I'd he, rather he play football. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you can marry him. You can, your daughter can marry him because he'll be wealthy. How's that? There you go. <laughs> I like basketball. it. I like it. Um, but you know, a nice kid too. A really very personable, you know, guy. He's very earnest. Uh, wants to please. Wants to do well. Um, but I do think his athleticism does get overlooked. So I, okay. uh, I just, I just, you know, for whatever reason, it, it does. But I think, uh, you know, is he Joey Bosa? No, but very few players are Joey Bosa. Of course. He's not, not, you know, not too far behind. I need to ask you about Jalen Holmes because that's also a guy who has certainly been uh, uh, getting a lot of attention over the course of, of his career there. And, again, not a guy who's going to be a first-rounder, but another guy who's intriguing – and some people might find him a little bit more attractive than others. Yeah, I'm actually doing a draft series with him. Uh, I've done a couple of installments already, and, and so I, you know, I know Jalen pretty well. Interesting guy, uh, very, very thoughtful, very into community service, uh, kind of loud in a good way. You know, he's just <laughs> out there. He just, you know, he's not divisive, but he is. He is. Uh, and outspoken is not even the right word. He's just more, you know, he cares about the world around him. And some people just want football players to just care about football. But he cares about more than just football. Um, as a player, he was a guy who was overlooked a lot because he didn't pile up crazy staff. I was on the conference call with Mel Kuyper last week, and and I asked him about uh, higher State players, or he maybe I forget or I asked him or somebody else asked him, and he and he said that he was disappointed with the production of Ohio State's defense alignment. And I thought, that's funny because they were dominant last year. Now, <laughs> individually, they didn't put up huge numbers because they rotated. I mean, right. it, yep. it wasn't like Nick Bosa played 80 snaps. They all played about 40 snaps a game. Well, you're playing 40 snaps a game and figure, okay, 20 of those are runs. How many opportunities do you really have to really get sacks? You're not, not much. And so – Jalen Holmes had two sacks last year. Well, he had two sacks in the senior bowl. He he played inside in their rushman package. He's a natural defensive end. He played tackle, really nose guard, uh, in their rushman package. And they put four defensive ends on the field at one time. So he can play the run. Uh, he can he's a better pass rusher than people give him credit for. I think he'll be a successful, solid pro. And Tyquan Lewis is the same thing. Tyquan Lewis at Pro Day put up some crazy numbers. He was in the four sixes. Yeah, four six eight. End. Yep. Yeah, that's that's pretty stunning. And he's a guy people talk about his athleticism, you know, or lack thereof. And I'm like, I'm not sure what they're watching <laughs> <laughs> if they think that that a guy a defensive end 
uh, with a thick body, and Taekwon Lewis is a thick body, um, it, it can run a four six, not, you know, four six, and and you know, not be a great athlete. It just kind of stuns me. Yeah, you know, here's the thing too, and and even I guess Hubbard to a to a certain extent, when when you take a look at these guys, there aren't these like small, lithe, stand up, you know, bend the edge guys. I mean, Hubbard's right. two seventy. Jalen Holmes is 6'5", 280 <laughs> at defensive end. Those guys just don't exist anymore. And Twyquan Lewis is 6'3", 270. So I feel like the way Ohio State runs their program, they don't want these guys that are just going to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. They want guys that can stop the run too. And it seems like that's what you're getting. You're not just getting guys who are going to rush the quarterback, rush the quarterback, rush the quarterback. These are guys that understand both parts of their responsibility on the defensive line. Bill, you know the beauty of yeah. it? Much like me, Ohio State is allergic to tweeners. And I really they like got some that big a lot. boys, Bill. <laughs> and I like that because I don't think tweeners very much. I think that maybe one of the worst things that happened to, to defensive ends or defensive linemen is the sack stat. I think the sack stat can be so overrated because it's so – It's how many times do you actually see a guy just beat a guy and get a sack? Usually a sack is because this guy flushes this guy, flushes the quarterback into somebody else. Yep. Or it's a coverage sack. Or it's a situational thing where everyone knows he's going to be rushing the passer and, and four guys converge and one guy gets there first. I, I mean, a legitimate pass, uh, you know, pass rusher who can get sacks like Lawrence Taylor could. Yeah, those guys are worth their weight in gold. There are very, very few of those guys. So much of the time, the guys who get credit with the sacks may not be the guy who's actually responsible for getting the sack in the first place. He just kind of cleans up the garbage sometimes. And so, you know, I feel for these guys who bust their butts every play are very good against the run, which Ohio State guys were in terms of maintaining leverage and, and all that stuff. Sam Hubbard was great at that last year, for example. And yet all people talk about, well, you know, Jalen Holmes only had two sacks. Well, there's a lot more that goes into it than, than you know, Jalen Holmes truly being responsible for two sacks. Real quick, just because of their size, how versatile are these defensive linemen? Are they going to move in and out where Hubbard and Lewis pretty much ends? I know you mentioned Holmes did move inside at the pass rush package. How about Lewis and Hubbard? Can those guys play either side of the line, or are they more right-left specific, and did they even move in and play any three technique? Yeah, I, I think they're both defensive ends. I think in a pinch they could move inside. Okay. Probably more uh, Taekwon Lewis than Hubbard. I think Hubbard's pretty much, if, if anything, Hubbard could be used as a 3-4 outside linebacker. Okay. Um, kind of a stand-up guy. and I mean, I can see him doing that. He's got the athleticism and versatility to do something like that. The other guys are more pure defensive ends. Or, you know, again, Lewis at Holmes, you know, in a pinch they could play inside. Final one for me, and, and you know, Bill, we talk about this every single time we get close to the draft. We talk about how because the CBA and the NFL is so limiting to these rookies that it's really hard for a number of them to contribute right away. But because of the programs they come out of, some of them are much more pro-ready. And to me, that's just the way it is in Buckeyeville. It just seems as though they get their guys – a step ahead of so many other programs. Alabama does the same thing. You know the power programs we're talking about. Right. What is it right. about? What is it about what they do at Ohio State that just doesn't make them a great college program, but also a program that gets ready, gets guys ready for the NFL? Well, I just thought about this as you were asking the question. I haven't gone through the entire list, but I think almost every one of their coaches with one major exception, has NFL experience. 
the NFL the coach who go, doesn't man. have it is Urban Meyer. Yeah. You know, Shiano was an NFL head coach. Bill Davis was a defensive coordinator. Um, you know, I mean, you go down the I mean, Larry Johnson wasn't. But Larry Johnson has put so many guys into the NFL that nobody questions his credentials. They have, they have great coaches. And they, here's the thing. They recruit the very best, and they develop them. So when you get great athletes and they develop, you get NFL players. And it's, Ohio State is a football factory. I mean, it, Ohio State and Alabama, and you can put Clemson in that in that group mm-hmm, now. Yeah, now maybe Georgia um, even. Yeah, Georgia. I mean, Georgia's always had great players. They haven't, you know, until last year they never really did it as a team. But you, you know, yep. there was never a question about does Georgia have talent? I think Oklahoma certain years, USC certain years, uh, but Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson, I think, right now. Yeah are the three best programs in the country. And, you know, Alabama's number one because you know, they, they want it. But I don't think the others are far behind. And uh, and, and Georgia's, you know, given what, what they did last year, I think they're right up there too now. But um, they, they push these guys. Ohio State is a difficult program to play in because you get there, you come in as a four- or five-star guy, and you start off at the bottom, and you look up at the depth chart, and you go, my God, I've got Nick Bosa ahead of me. I've got this guy ahead of me. And you go, I better bust my butt to have any chance of seeing the field. And they make you play the the way you earn your spot uh, on downs is to excel in special teams. You have to find your way, earn your way onto a special teams uh, unit. And obviously, that's the first step, the gateway to playing in the NFL as well. So they have a a background. So an NFL team looks at a guy from Ohio State and wonders, okay, is he some kind of prima donna? Can he play special teams? Well, yeah, because they had to. That's the way you get on the field. I mean, certain positions more than others. I mean, defensive end, you know, isn't going to be on the kickoff coverage team. But, but, you know, linebackers, wide receivers, running backs, that that kind of stuff. Ezekiel Elliott played special teams his freshman year. That's how he got kind of known. Yeah, Dan Salamone, who's our local, who's our one of the writers for our website, he's an Ohio State alumni. He sent me a couple weeks ago Ezekiel Elliott's big tackle on a kickoff, which yeah, was like Purdue, his kind of right? exactly, yep. which was kind of his like. And I'm like, they actually had Ezekiel Elliott play kickoffs, and then you guys basically had the best defensive back every year, but only started for one year because they had the best defensive back from the prior draft class yes. starting ahead of him the year yes. before, right. and it's just funny. Uh, right. to, to, See, and Bill, we thought Dan was just full of propaganda. Exactly. <laughs> Bill, yeah, the, the, the Purdue play. I think that's in one of my books. I think it's. I think that play. It's just. Like, okay, who is this guy? Ryan Shazier. I remember Ryan Shazier would make these hits on special teams. I go, who Big is Shazier that? fan. I like that. You know, a lot. the spring game. The spring game. Now, you know, tackling, tackling technique did some work, as, unfortunately. Um, but he was like, shot out of a cannon. You go, who was that? Uh, but it was on special teams that they first made their name. Bill, two real quickies for me. I don't want to shortchange the other four guys that are eligible. Can you just give me a very quick index card on Chris Worley, Damon Webb? Marcus Baugh and JT Barrett, just real quick. Sure, sure. Uh, I think Damon Webb's going to surprise people. He really improved last year, improved his range, uh, you know, under the radar for most of his career. But I think he's a guy, late-round pick, that could be a steal. Uh, Marcus Baugh is a guy who looks the part. He made some huge plays. He's got to be much more consistent. His hands, he can make the hard catch and drop the easy one. So he's a bit of an enigma, but has the talent, can certainly stick. Um, uh, let me think. Who are the other ones? Uh, Chris Worley uh, Chris and JT Worley. Barrett. Chris Worley, really, I mean, I, I'm a fan of Chris Worley as a person. He's overcome a lot. Um, doesn't wow you with physical skills, 
Yeah, on special teams, I think he'd be a good guy. He's a good guy in the locker room. I think you know, I think he can play. Not the fastest guy, but pretty good instincts. Better as a as an outside linebacker last year than as a middle linebacker. Kind of took one for the team playing in the middle and and was better on the outside. You know, JT. Is, you know, I'm not sure what else can be said about JT. He's a great college quarterback. He's got to prove that he can make the NFL throws and be in the out patterns and those kind of things and be able to to go through his reads quickly and accurately and throw accurately. You know, he has all the intangibles. He'd be he's a great guy to have on your team. He will he will never embarrass you. He will work hard. He will all those things. He just has to be able to prove that he has the NFL skills. And does he? You know, I don't presume to judge that. I'll let people who actually study and really know the NFL game better than I do right now to, to judge that. I, I think he's got a lot to prove. I think the JT's a guy who's always thrived on on uh, being the underdog and, and being the leader. And if he gets a chance, he might surprise people. The question is, it's not really a developmental league anymore. It's right. it's you know you don't you don't have three now. quarterbacks on the roster. It's a now often, league, right? Yeah, you're it's, right. You're it's absolutely a now right. League. So he's a guy who'll probably have to bounce around a little bit, but he could find a home and surprise people. Final question. Um, I want to ask you about Eli Apple. You covered him at Ohio State, so you maybe have a unique perspective uh, on him. You know, obviously, his issues last year were well documented. Um, did a lot of that stuff surprise you based on what you knew about Eli from, you know, coming out of college? Has any of this stuff kind of tripled, trickled back uh, to Ohio State and, and anything you've kind of heard about him? Uh, I'm surprised. I mean, I know both Eli and his, and his mom, Annie, quite well, and probably Annie better than Eli, honestly. Um, that whole story was, is bizarre. I, I don't. I've not investigated it myself. I don't have any inside information. Uh, Eli was well thought of at Ohio State. He was a very young player. He came into Ohio State, I think he was 17 years yeah. old. And and Kerry Combs, I remember he was kind of the whipping boy for Kerry Combs. He could do nothing right. Kerry was always yelling at him in practice and stuff, <laughs> the few practices we could see. But then he developed, and, and he had this, this iron deficiency that was undetected for way too long, and they finally got that straightened out, and, and you know, did I think he was a little bit overdrafted at, at was he ten? Is that how early he went? I forget what the number he was with he, the Triumph. I think he was eleven, but yeah. I, I could 11, be wrong. Okay, okay, but I, I thought that was a little high, but I thought he was a first round talent. Um, I, I don't know what happened last year. I, I, I read on Twitter and read things, yep. you know, and it, it baffled me honestly. But no, there was no like red flag that I'm aware of about Eli Apple coming out of Ohio State. Bill, great stuff. We appreciate the time. Uh, you're a go-to Ohio State guy. You always do a fantastic job. We appreciate it. Uh, anything you want to promote for us um, uh, before we say goodbye? <laughs> I don't have another book coming out, but The Chase and Buckeye Rebirth are still available if anyone wants to know what really happened to Ohio State. I think, uh, I think Dan Solomon, our, our Giants.com writer, has about 10 copies uh, <laughs> on his bedroom uh, I like wall. That, man. Thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you, Bill. You. Thank you, Bill. All right. Thank Much you. appreciated. Thank you. Bill Rabinowitz does a great job from the Columbus Dispatch covers stuff. Ohio State. Outstanding stuff, John. You know, and, and again, you're talking about a program that is a perennial powerhouse, and they don't just want to win and get into the BCS playoffs. Well, they do. But. They do, but <laughs> the other thing they do, yeah. which not every terrific winning college program does, is literally get guys ready. They are a minor league team especially for the def- NFL. Especially defensively. They are. They especially just Especially defensively. And that's just a fact. All right. So. Great job, everybody. Thanks so much. Tomorrow we got a couple of guests. We have Matt Miller. 
Um, and we have Eric Hansen talking about Notre Dame prospects. So yeah, it'll be Paul be and I fun. at noon. It'll be a fun show. Two offensive linemen to talk about. Yeah, Matt Miller at noon, then Eric Hansen at 12.30. And we'll try to squeeze in calls in between. It might be tough, but it should be good information nonetheless. Uh, for Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmelz. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow on Giants.com. Show returns to noon. We'll see you then.